Our reading for today is John chapter 4, verses 16 through 26. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what we know, you worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Welcome, everyone. It's hard to believe that um, we've been doing these online services now for more than four months. And it's likely that some form of uh, virtual or hybrid services will be a part of our ongoing reality for at least the rest of this year. Our recorporating committee has been hard at work figuring out how and when we might be able to begin to worship in person again and their recommendations will be made available soon. While much remains uncertain, we do know that we cannot go from a 100% Zoom meeting to 100% in-person gatherings. What we're learning from churches, from schools, from scholars, is that regathering will be a staged, precarious, halting, slow, disputed, and uneven process. Even with all the necessary precautions that we will take, it's likely that we will periodically take a step or two backwards, depending on what the virus does in the coming months and perhaps even years. As this pandemic persists, while we are thankful for the technology that allows us to virtually meet, there is also great concern that some of you may have grown quite comfortable with the online worship service and may even prefer it to actual live in-person worship. Some of you may find it more convenient. It requires less time and attention. It saves you from driving to and from the church building. You can sleep in later. You don't have to feed the kids. You don't have to get them dressed. You don't have to get yourself dressed. You can turn off your cameras so that no one can see you. You don't have to worry about making small talk in the lobby. 
You can avoid all social awkwardness and discomfort. In short, virtual worship allows you to not deal with the messiness of real people and real relationships. I think there is great danger in this. In the past, I've preached against the use of online worship as a substitute for in-person services, that any meaningful understanding of Christian discipleship requires worshiping with a real body of believers. One of our fundamental understandings, understandings about the Christian life and about life itself is its corporality. One of our core convictions about church is that we have been called alongside to be together, to be with one another. Our God is a God who is triune and in constant fellowship. Our God is the one who is with us. Jesus is the one who promised to be with us even to the end of the age. The Spirit is one who continues to abide in us. And so over the summer, I hope to strengthen your convictions, not only about the importance of worship, but also the importance of physically gathering together for worship as well. Let's pray together. God, we ask now that we would understand, we would begin to understand what it is to worship, to worship in spirit and in truth, to worship virtually, and what it is to worship together. May the words of my mouth now and the meditations of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our God, our Rock, our Redeemer. Amen. Our reading today comes from the familiar story about Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. As you know, the story is about Jesus passing through a town where he's uh, just kind of tired from his journey and he sits down at the local watering hole. A woman happens to come by to draw water and Jesus asks her for a drink. It seems innocuous enough to us, but this encounter is anything but ordinary. In Jesus's day, men and women simply did not speak to each other in public if they didn't know each other. Not only that, but they had segregation laws, much like this country had in the past that separated uh, whites from colored people only. They had signs for restrooms, restaurants, and water fountains. And in Jesus's day, Jews and Samaritans had their own segregation regulations, including those about not sharing water and water buckets. The fact that Jesus breaks these societal rules on both gender and race to talk about himself and God is often used to highlight and illustrate how we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it's told almost as a parable of how to do evangelism. And our reading today is in the middle of that conversation. And when the question of worship comes up, Jesus says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This morning, let me just impress upon you the broader meaning of worship 
And next week, we'll get to see what it means to worship in spirit and truth. So what is worship? In the broadest sense, our entire living that is given to God is a form of worship. As Pastor Rick Warren says, anything you do that brings pleasure to God is an act of worship. So all of life can be an act of worship. Other Christian leaders and writers have offered similar observations. Ralph Martin emphasizes celebration when he states, worship is a dramatic celebration of God in his supreme worth in such a manner that his worthiness becomes a norm and inspiration of human living. For Max Lucado, worship is about gratitude. Worship is a voluntary act of gratitude offered by the saved to the savior, by the healed to the healer, and by the delivered to the deliverer. In celebration of discipline, Richard Foster writes, to worship is to experience reality, to touch life. It is to know, to feel, to experience the resurrected Christ in the midst of the gathered community. And perhaps one of the best and most comprehensive definitions of worship is the one given by William Temple, a 20th century Archbishop of Canterbury. He says that worship is a submission of all our nature to God. To worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, to devote the will to the purpose of God. I hope these quotes will give you some sense, sense of the breadth of worship. As for how we might apply some of this to our Sunday worship service, we can turn to our denomination's constitution, the Book of Order, which defines worship this way. Christian worship joyfully ascribes all praise and honor, glory and power to the triune God. In worship, the people of God acknowledge God present in the world and in their lives. As they respond to God's claim and redemptive action in Jesus Christ, believers are transformed and renewed. In worship, the faithful offer themselves to God and are equipped for God's service in the world. In our worship together, we are acknowledging the greatness and the presence of God. As we respond to God's love in Jesus Christ in faith, we are changed and prepared for service to the world. As these quotes point to, the fundamental quality about worship that I want you to remember today is that worship is all about God. Even as we offer ourselves to God, it is for God and for God's service in the world. There's a song that we sometimes sing, I'm coming back to the heart of worship which has the repeated line, it's all about you. It's all about you. That's absolutely right. Christian worship joyfully ascribes all praise and honor, glory and power to the triune God. It's all about God. It is not about you. You have probably been asked or have asked over the years, how was the worship? Or how is church? How do you respond to a question like that? Over the years, I have heard and overheard answers like these. 
It was okay, but I didn't get much out of it. It was great. They played my favorite songs. I really liked the sermon, but the sermon didn't do too much for me. I'm not really sure because, you know, I like to show up late because I don't like to stand and sing. I just there to hear the sermon. The worship's fine, but I wish they didn't make you say hi to everybody. It's just awkward, and I don't see how that's a part of worship. It'd be better if the praise time was longer and the sermon was shorter. The service was boring, but I'm just there to see my friends anyway, so it was okay. The worship was so-so, but the fellowship food was awesome. You see how completely wrong-headed the question and these answers are. Sometimes people talk as if God is so lucky that you showed up to work, uh, to worship, right? They sit with their arms folded, their legs stretched in the back, and it's like, okay, God, you know how busy I am, and you know, you're lucky that I'm here, that I made the time because my lunch plans got canceled because of the bad weather. So since I may not be back here for a while, why don't you impress me and give me something good that I can use to improve my life for this week? Worship is not for you. And it's certainly not for you to judge in terms of you. It is not designed to entertain you or to make you feel good. It's not about what you get out of it. It's more about what you put into it, though I don't want to push that too far because I don't want to make worship sound as though it's just another work of righteousness that you have to do. How was the worship? How's church? As Pastor Dohi has been teaching us, God is good all the time would be a good answer. Worship ought to be the one time in the week where you are not the center of the universe. As Eugene Patterson writes, worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves. Worship is about God. I know that the temptation for many churches is to shape their worship services around what people like and don't like. That's why contemporary church services have gotten rid of the organ and introduced guitars and drums. I'm not suggesting that worship services adhere to ancient forms and remain stagnant and never change anything. However, Worship cannot simply be a matter of piecing together miscellaneous elements based on market research. It cannot be like Frankenstein's monster, the stitching together of people's preferences of what they find enjoyable or what is most convenient for their lifestyles. Worship is not and cannot be one more product produced for your consumption and for your ease. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about God. Worship brings us into the presence of an awesome God who is worthy of our full admiration, adoration, and reverence. That's what we are called to do in worship. There's some definitions, definitions that might be helpful for us. According to the dictionary, the meaning of worship as a noun is this. One, reverence offered 
a divine being or supernatural power, also an act of expressing such reverence. Two, a form of religious practice with its creed and ritual. And three, extravagant respect or admiration for or devotion to an object of esteem. So you see there are three aspects of worship. The first is something we might think of as physical, something that you do, an act. Secondly, a ritual or a liturgy that we might hold together Sunday morning. And third, there is an attitude component to worship. Is that what we're doing? Is that what you're doing? To offer reverence, an act of expressing such reverence. Three thesaurus entries for worship include revere, adore, and love. The word worship comes from this idea of worthiness, of acknowledging someone's worth. To describe the innate worth something or someone has, it's to give the highest worth to. That may sound a little abstract to you, as it does to me. And so what you may find much more helpful is the way that the Bible describes worship. The primary word that is translated as worship from both the Old Testament Hebrew and the New Testament Greek contains the simple idea and meaning of bowing, of falling down, to prostrate, prostrate, <laughs> to stoop, to crouch humbly. To worship is to bow down. To worship is simply to bow down. For example, Psalm 95 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Three times the repeated call is to bow down in worship. And that third word, kneel, is actually the word that is usually translated to bless. So to bless God, to worship God, is to kneel, to bow down. These are all synonyms. If you want to worship God, then you bow down. If you want to bless God, then you kneel. To worship is to bow. And this is the future to which we are all headed. Philippians 2 reminds us, because of what Christ has done, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And that word there, bow, right? Every knee should worship in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How do we bow? We worship. How do we worship? We bow. I think we all instinctively understand this. Those of you of a certain age will remember the actions of Garth and Wayne from Wayne's World. Whenever they came into the presence of someone they admired, they immediately bowed and shouted, we're not worthy, we're not Worthy. They couldn't help themselves. In the Bible, whenever people encountered someone greater, such as kings or angelic beings, they automatically, they immediately bowed. Bowing is a sign of deep respect and is not necessarily worship, but when people are described as worshiping, they are regularly described as bowing along with their worship. If the instinct is to bow before another person is, who is of higher status, then how much more 
when you are able to acknowledge and to recognize that you are in the presence of the Almighty God. The Apostle Peter, for example, when he had an inkling of who Jesus is in Luke 5, he fell down at Jesus' knee saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He fell down, he bowed when he realized he was in the presence of Jesus. When we recognize, when we recognize whose presence we are in, we will want to worship and to bow down. The more we realize who God is, how great God is, the more we will bow down in worship. Those of you who grew up in the church were probably taught when you were young that you are to kneel in your heart to Jesus, that the disposition of the heart, the attitude of the spirit as it bows in worship is what really matters, not the actual physical bowing. Of course, no disagreement there. I think that's what Jesus is getting at when he says that worship is not about geography and location, about this mountain or that, but that it's about the spirit and of worshiping in truth. However, as I've often emphasized and have more repeatedly mentioned during this season of quarantine, we are embodied beings. Our physicality matters when it comes to worship. It's not just kneeling symbolically in your hearts. It matters that you are sitting attentively and not lying down half asleep in your pajamas right now. It's not just symbols. When we have communion and baptism, it's not just symbols. We, we have real water and real bread and real wine. Your body matters and your body can actually help your mind and spirit get to the right place. When your body is in a position of kneeling, you automatically know who you are and who God is and what that relationship is. Your body will make your spirit submit when you kneel. The adage is true. You can make yourself, you can make yourself act in a new way of feeling something far easier than you can feel your way into acting in a particular way. When you act a certain way, when you make your body do something, that is far easier to make you feel something than to do that the other way around. So if you want to worship better, just kneel. If you want to love God more, try bowing. Now, I want to be clear that I'm not suggesting that a particular body position is somehow better or more spiritual. Kneeling and bowing can, of course, become just as easily a meaningless ritual. But as a people generally without such rituals, and as we lean more and more toward informality, and as our discipleship becomes more and more casual, I would suggest and encourage you to practice kneeling and bowing in worship. Even the simple act of bowing your head in prayer without getting on your knees, even that brings us into a different way of approaching God. Maybe you don't need to bow three times or seven times a day, but it ought to be a regular part of your worship of God. Perhaps at the beginning of our worship service as a way to prepare yourself for worship, or perhaps during the time of prayer of confession, you can try kneeling. 
I would especially encourage those of you who are younger to do kneeling while you still can when your knees feel good because they're not always going to be so flexible and comfortable. You will likely have forgotten, but back in March when we started to transition to a Zoom worship service, I wrote some worship guidelines. And here's a part of what I wrote back then. Finally, even though this service will be online, please remember that this is still worship. I ask that you observe all the usual decorum for a worship service, as well as the additional considerations of online worship. And I had a bunch of things that I listed. Among them were dress appropriately. I will be wearing a suit and tie as usual. Again, for myself, it just helps me. It, frame, it gets my mind in the right frame. Do not eat or drink during the service. Avoid distractions such as checking emails, texting, and going to the bathroom. Give your full, undivided attention to God and to one another. My intent this morning is not to call out anyone who might be holding a cup of coffee right now. But I do want to strongly remind you that worship is not a spectator sport that you are merely watching while eating your breakfast. Worship is not a Netflix movie or K-drama that you can have playing in the background while you are washing the dishes or preparing lunch. This is why I'm asking you to turn on your cameras when we worship together. I know that in other video meetings, such as for work and for school, there are different rules and expectations. I'm not necessarily saying that my kids do this, but I've heard that kids attending online classes these days are doing so with their cameras turned off, lying in bed, in their pajamas, half listening to their professors while playing video games and texting with one another. We can debate whether or not that's okay for school. It's definitely not okay for worship. Of course, part of this is I want to see your faces, especially more so as we are not able to see each other in person. But more importantly, I'm asking you to keep your cameras on so that it will feel less like you're just watching something and instead feel more like you're participating with others in something that is valuable and important. To be more fully present with God and with one another. And maybe just having your camera on and knowing that you are visible to others will make you look like at least you're paying attention. As hard as it may be, we need to remind ourselves, even sitting at home and looking at a video screen, we are worshiping God. We are in the presence of God, the Father, the Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We are in the presence of the one who loved so greatly that he gave his only begotten son. Think about that. You and I, we're in the presence of God. I know that as a practical matter, you are not likely to kneel during the worship service. But I hope that the description, this fundamental idea of worship as bowing down, at the very least, will help you to approach worship with a greater sense of reverential awe and humility 
to approach with a certain seriousness, though not without humor. There ought to be thoughtful preparation and joyful anticipation, not something that you just roll out of bed at 10.59 to semi-consciously attend. Worship requires your full attention and the engagement of your whole being, including your body, because God is good and God is worthy. Now onto the king, eternal, invisible, immortal, the only wise God, be all honor, praise, glory, and power now and forever. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord, we want to worship in spirit and truth. We want to begin by acknowledging that we are not always thinking rightfully or fully about you. Help us to kneel before you in spirit and body to recognize that you are worthy of our full praise, of our full attention. We ask that we might worship you in spirit and truth. We pray together now the prayer Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.